Hi, everyone, and welcome. My name is Suzanne O'Brien, and today we have a great woman to share a beautiful conversation with. This is Jane Whitlock, and Jane and I had the pleasure of meeting, and also she was trained with doula givers in 2015. It seems like a lifetime ago, and in, in, in one sense, it, it is. But let me just share a little bit about our conversation today is going to be around her work and what she's done in this movement but also I just wanna share with you that she was hired. Um, and I'm gonna read this verbatim because the, and this is wonderful, because this is so, you know, it's so progressive and we really wanna honor the, um, the way that this is being done and then hear from her about how it's going. In January of 27, 2021, there was an announcement made that said, please help us in welcoming Jane Whitlock, our new integrative care specialist, end of life doula. Jane will be working with the folks on the hospice as well as other residents in need of her services. As an end of life doula, she specializes in talking with people about their fears and hopes as they face their death. In addition, she will be offering integrative therapies such as essential oils, hand and foot massage, and guided imagery to all. Previously, she was a middle school teacher, hospice volunteer, CNA, and death educator. Welcome, Jane. Okay, you need to fill us in on this great organization and what's been happening. But Jane, I just want to say, you know, when I think back on our training in 2015, um, and where we are now, you know, in this global movement and obviously what our world has been through, it is, you know, it's amazing. And it's also a privilege to have had that time and also be with you today in this space. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's just so, so much in the dual world has changed since yeah. 2015. It is even since two years ago, it's staggering. Oh, yeah. In a, in a great way. So I'll always talk about in this space with people is that when the world is very challenging right now on basically all fronts, I think, you know, every day, obviously there's something and these are major things that we're all going through. The doula space and this bringing back the holistic awareness of death being a human experience, not a medical one, and also the teachings that death provides us is one of the brightest spots in this whole world right now. And you're right, it's just growing and growing and growing. So tell us about your journey. And if you would be so kind to just start a little bit with your background and then we can talk about your position that you're in currently. Okay. Um, well, I, used, I like to say I used to be like everybody else. I had a job as a middle school teacher, was married to a principal, and then my husband got sick and in pretty short order, in four months, he died from kidney cancer. And for me, that was the door being thrown open to what is hospice. We had never thought about death or dying or prepared. I had never been with someone who died. I had never seen a dead body. I had a lot of fear. And I went through that whole thing, being supported by hospice, but also feeling a well, there are just huge gaping holes here. Yeah. And I don't feel supported in the way that like, I want to look at this experience of dying and having your partner die and how do you say goodbye and all of those things. So after he died, I really had this epiphany that life is short. And um, I really wanted to, like you always say, just throw yourself open to the universe and say, like, I'm here. Like, what's I'm, what am I supposed to do? How do I serve? Yeah. And um, it just became very obvious to me that it was um, death and dying and grief that was calling me. And then I found you. And then I went to your cute training. There were two of us, two of us. In At your that training, there were two. 
And and then the dog came this the third day that you that graciously allowed to come into the training. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then I became a death doula and um, and really was drawn to being, I did this TED talk in 2018 and that threw open a lot of doors yeah. for death education. Yeah. And I really loved that part of it. And I was, you know, my, my calendar was getting filled up with dates and then COVID hit. And I thought, oh my gosh, all, that all disappeared and I need to make money. Yeah. So I had always felt very... Um, like I, as a doula, I want to provide physical service for my uh, clients. Like if they have someone dying at home and they don't know how to change, change someone, or they don't know how to do the sheets while someone's in the bed, all those super practical things. So I went back to school and got my CNA Mm -hmm. and I worked as a CNA for about six months and whoa, super hard job. And as a doula, it's kind of heartbreaking because you want to have these quality conversations with people. And really you can only do that while you're putting them in a lift or while you're cleaning their dentures or while you're getting them dressed. And um, so I felt torn that whole time. Sure. Um, So after six months, then I got offered another job in the facility with the Sisters of St. Joseph, who are this group of radical nuns who are highly educated, super progressive. And I was their daughter because they don't have a daughter. So I did everything a daughter would do. Um, Just the gamut, finding remotes, reading books, um, doing the dishes. During... um, non-COVID time, I would have gone with them in the ambulance to the hospital and been their advocate at the hospital. But because of COVID, I didn't really do that. Anyway, I was happy as a clam. I walked five blocks to work and then um, I got heard about this job at Providence Place, this nursing home in South Minneapolis that um, gets some pretty scathing Yelp reviews. I was like, I like, do I want to leave this super cush great job to do something that seems way more difficult. Um, So, but I thought here, they're hiring an end of life doula at a skilled nursing facility. Like how often does that come along? So I consulted with the universe for about 48 hours. And then I was like, you know what? I'm being called to do this. So I um, got that job and um, I, I call Providence Place is a really special place. It's, it's like a pirate ship. That's what I say. Um, we take seemingly everybody that other nursing homes have rejected because oh, wow. the behaviors are too difficult or, you know, chronic problems with addiction or homelessness or mental health. Um, these are people who in large part have had lifelong struggles with this and so have been alienated from yeah. their families. So yeah. they were dying alone. Yeah. And, and the board said, you know, they saw this need and they said, we need to address it. We're going to start this end of life pilot and hire a doula. So that's the situation I'm walking into. Um, and I work with uh, Nancy Bond, who is uh, runs board initiatives. She's on the board for the company that owns us. So she and I just, you know, basically are trying to do human centered design. Like we want to know what the aides feel about that. What do the nurses feel? What do the clinical directors feel? What, what do people in dietary and housekeeping, what everybody, you know, as a doula, it's so, it's such a luxury that you come into someone's house and you're just, you're right there. And you're doing the work almost yep. immediately. Yep. But when you're in a facility, it's um, there's a lot 
more to do with, but the pilot's vision was that people who are dying might feel more comfortable with the person who cleans their room yeah. or their nurse yeah. or the person who delivers their meals. Yeah. So they want, we want to have this baseline knowledge and comfort around if you're in the room cleaning someone's room and, and someone says, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm really freaky. I'm really scared to die. Yeah. We want that person to have some sort of skill to be able to sit down and say, tell me more. Yeah. You know, because it, they don't have to solve any problems. They just have to have the not, you know, this calming presence. Um, so that's what we want to do. How do you do that? Right. I mean, where do we start? So and, and there's a cultural piece because we're in a big urban center. Right. So most of the workers are from Africa or African-American. Most of the residents are white and most of the administration is white. So I was very, very um, wanted to be sensitive in the way I am sharing new ways to do things with people who have done this work much longer than I have. Right. Um, and that took a long time, but I feel like eventually I decided experiential is the only way to do it because they need to feel what I am trying to tell them. Yeah. It's really the only way that doula works. It's very interesting because I remember being in Thailand in 2019 doing volunteer trainings over there, which was an incredible experience. And, you know, I was training with Buddhist monks who do this and it was, sounds like your sisters, right? And the power of the presence and, and it's just like amazing, but you have to feel this. It's, you know, we can explain it, you can talk about it, but the connection that we get from the compassion and the presence that's brought into this work has to be felt. Yeah, yeah. So I love that. So I really wanted to honor the home for the, the progressive way that they brought in a doula. But I also know that you and I, you know, we know how much and the importance of educating people on the fact that death is not a medical experience and we forgot that it's a human one and how much you're showing up with no judgment, no agenda, just to be that presence for them is so healing. So we really, um, we wanna honor them now. I don't, um, I feel bad about all the red tape that you probably have, like it, involved with building things. It's just, it, it's a process. But I think that once you have that prototype, you know, you can then, this can be the gift that keeps giving for many different places. But there is something incredibly empowering about the doula being able to be that non-medical professional that goes into a home that doesn't have a million patients, that doesn't have a time restriction, that doesn't have a bunch of documentation to do. Right. And I think that is. Yeah. I mean, I always tell people, I, 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 it's a, my number one rule is do not enter a room with any paper. Like, yeah. I, I think if you have a paper yeah. that needs to be filled out, it becomes this yeah. extractive experience, yeah. like, yeah. which is that, which if you're in a bed in a nursing home, most of your experiences are someone coming in and extracting from you. Um, so I wanted to be really careful about that. Um, but, but I want to get back to the, so the, the way I figured out how to train is we have a lab. So we have a hospital room that we use to train the aides and the nurses come and I put them in the bed and I'm the caregiver. Mm -hmm. And so we do like one way where the room is 
chaotic and filthy and let's make a deal is blaring in the background and there's like a, a full urinal sitting on the bedside table and you know things that just happen when yeah, you're yeah. living in a facility um any facility yeah um so you know we and 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 we deal with them perfunctorily you know you put a, a water down and you you maybe throw the cover back and check their feet for modeling or you know whatever might happen and then you leave the room and then you say so how did that feel you know, and then and then we and then we had them come out in the hallway and we're like, okay, so now there's this butterfly on the door, so you know someone's dying in this room. So you're gonna do a little centering of yourself. So we did like compassionate breathing for them, compassionate breathing for the person in the room. Yeah. And then we had them go in and we had them sit down and we had them touch them on the shoulder. And these are nurses who are used to you know, standing over people, sure. mixing it up and putting it in their mouth and leaving, you know, and we had them use their name and sit down and just say, how is your day going? So the visit went from 30 seconds to maybe two minutes, but mm -hmm. the perception for the person in the bed is it's 20 minutes. And this person actually cares about me and touched me in a loving human way, you know? So we got amazing results from the staff. They were like, I will never stand over anyone again. Like, no. So I feel like my mother's that's so incredible. My mother talks about the perfect storm. You know, it's our aging population has, you know, we've doubled in our age and the medical system is fragmented, right? Less and less time there. And um, we as medical professionals, they are under so much pressure and stress. And I remember, you know, and it's great that I can be a doula, but speak from my oncology background, my hospice background, because I've been there. And I'll tell you, people are killing themselves to care for people and it still isn't working. Like it's not matching enough. Um, and so I remember walking out of the oncology, I used to do the 15 hour shifts, like the long ones. And I would always say I didn't do enough. I wasn't in that room enough. And that's an awful feeling. So I think we have to acknowledge how much the medical professions, their the pressure they're under, but also how incredible these people are, the work that they're doing. But I love that you did this lab and you said literally with a 90 second add on and changing your positioning. And here's the other key. And I think this is really important. The grounding of you before you. So you're not taking in everything with you. Yeah, your your stress and your hurt. Yes, and your mind going all over. Yeah. So that's beautiful, Jane. Um, I love your speaking and I love your educating. And I I again honor you so much with taking an experience from your past that was painful and really gifting it, you know, putting it in this beautiful gift and sharing it in such a beautiful way with people. And I remember listening to you and you were talking about a man that you were working with and how. He loved food, which again, I think a lot of people know, and you can really argue that, right? And um, how the, I think it was the chemotherapy that got sores in his throat where he wasn't able to eat at the end. And you said, you know, these are the type of things that we want to think about. You know, when do we want to forego treatment or when do we, what is quality of life to us? And I think we should dialogue about this because people usually ask me, when is the time to do advanced directives and to way back here, like, a good end of life starts way back here before we're there. Mm -hmm. So I think we can we can share the wisdom that we've both been able to learn from end of life with people because I really want them to hear this. Right. I mean, for me, I always go back to that Joan Halifax, like imagining the death that you want. Yeah. 
And, and for most people that is not in a hospital bed with a bunch of side effects, right? right. And right. so um, just like you say, we have to think like right now I'm thinking of the death that I want. Yes. And I really, I wanna live my life in a way so that when I get what I'm gonna get, right? I'm gonna get something or yeah. I'm gonna get hit by a bus, you know? Yeah. When I get what I'm gonna get, I want to be able to have, been like, of course, this moment was coming. So I have lived all the other years yeah. uh, in gratitude. So yep. that when this, I don't feel like, um, I, I, just so many people feel personally, um, what's the word? It's like, we don't see it coming, even though we all know it's coming. You know, it's just, it's it, like you said, it's the ultimate gift to live a life knowing that you're going to die and imagining like, I want it to be like this. So I will give up maybe an extra treatment so that I can die at home. I will give up maybe two treatments so that I can not have a bunch of side effects. You know, also, do you read Stephen Jenkinson? I haven't read the full. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a yeah, slog. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I do like that he says we have one mantra and it's if we can do it, we should do it. And that works for the 50% of people who are gonna get a treatment and get real extended quality life. But for the other 50% of people who are gonna do the treatments and get nothing, it makes no sense, but they're subjected to the exact same mantra. Okay. Um, All right, let's stay with this. Cause this is, I really, these are takeaways that really are gonna change people's lives if they if they want to embrace this, what we're, what we're sharing right here. The, choice is yours so if you don't choose it goes into the medical treadmill what i call a medical treadmill which is virtually impossible to stop and it's one of the greatest gifts that you could give your family and yourself to think about this now the other thing i really want to highlight is that i feel like the terminology we're using in the medical profession is misleading and wrong because you know treatment we're saying treatment and there's you know, whenever I say that word, I'm like, okay, well, we need to come up with different, because that's, that's misleading. Yeah, um, right. Right. But, but it's very important. So I, I always will say to people, you have got to decide for yourself what quality of life is for you. That's subjective. But you've also got to do your homework in the sense, and that's where like doulas as advocates and those kind of things to help people try and make sense of this. Because right now, most of this is happening in a crisis space. I have to be very honest with you. In the last couple of weeks, I got two phone calls, one at 1030 at night, the other the other day, all the way at the end, dying. What do we do? One was in the hospital, freaking out. And I'm like, we can't really do so, so much at that point. But the information that you need to decide for yourself is if, if and when, and I love that you said that it's 100% guarantee that each and every one of us will have an end of life, 100%. And I always say, if you know any different, let me know. But this body is going to have an end of life. So to prepare and think about that is, is really important. But when and if that disease process comes, ask questions. Ask if I do this routine that you're suggesting, what is the chance that I'm going to live X and what will that look like? And make sure that that is all laid out so you can make that empowering decision for yourself. Because two more treatment, and I don't even want to say treatment, two more rounds of something literally can put you into a space where you have no quality in fact could be suffering and then have your end of life right and what i always tell people is do not give away your internal compass yeah yeah oh you know, yeah 
and, 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 you know, not enough people, I always, I always say, get a palliative care consult, like get, get your two tracks going. And then you are the most important person, your compass about what feels right, right. in your body. I mean, we, we give it all away to the experts, which is. <laughs> okay. So my, my, that, wait, wait, wait. Can I, so I have an aunt right now. Yeah. I, I think she's in her 80s and she's a master gardener and that's what really matters to her. And she had some sort of cancer and I guess it's gone to her lungs. And so she she's having trouble. She can't get to her garden anymore. And she's like, you know what? Then I'm done because that's my quality of life. I'm yeah. super clear on that. And I am just going to have a natural death. Whatever happens, happens. And I, I think that act of facing your death when you're pursuing yes. treatments or whatever we're calling them, you're not facing your death. So you don't have the opportunity to be transformed by it. But she is looking at her death and looking at the time she has left. And I said, have you been transformed? And she said, oh my God. Yes. So much gratitude, so much love for the people in my life, so yes. much love for the beauty of the earth. Like, yes, yes I have been yes. wildly transformed. So that's the, that's the thing that really gets me is that people don't get the opportunity. If yeah. Face it. Absolutely. So, so much here. So as a medical, and I'm going to, you know, share this as a medical professional, when we don't give clear messaging of what's happening to people and, and give them, I don't, you know, I guess you could say false hope when we don't allow them to step, because, you know, there's a couple things like we haven't taught doctors about end of life. We have, we've taught them how to keep people going and, and they feel like it's a failure. And I've had doctors where there's somebody 90 something years old who finally died of their cancer and they're walking down the hallway with their head down like they failed. So this is this is has to change. But we do have to give them the tools of how to have these conversations. But you know, the death is going to be 100% guaranteed and you're right. If we don't allow it to be a part, we're never going to have that transformation, but even for me, one of my intentions here is to bring death back into the natural fold of life for its beauty, for its teachings. And I, and I hope that we can end our conversation today with that conversation about what can death teach us about life right now? Because you've mentioned it. And, you know, for your aunt with the transformation in that space, what about if we really brought back the awareness? And I think COVID's helping us at this moment with knowing that at any time um, it can happen. But what, what is the beauty that can help us to live so much richer and so much more together with the planet, with each other, um, with presence and gratitude. So maybe we can speak on that because I know it's changed. My life has changed completely since the first day I started working for hospice. Yeah, you know, I think that as humans, we are operating under this false pretense of that safety, like that we're, we're safe and that we are entitled to X amount of time. But once you have a brush with death or you're in hospice or you see, you realize that safety is an illusion. And we give up so much for that safety. We give up freedom and independence and curiosity and creativity and spontaneity, you know, to stay in our tiny little box. But once you realize that's what death teaches us is that that little box isn't safe. It's just a little box. It's an illusion box. It's an yeah. illusion box. And so, yeah, do, live life 
do, you know, I have this houseboat that I am on the Mississippi and it's full of logs and that's like scary. But at the same time, it's like, no, I want to do this and then I'll figure out how to get out of this jam. And that's when I feel most alive, I not when that. I'm like saving for my retirement. <laughs> well, I, but I do love that. And there's so much wisdom there. I remember when I was in the, uh, the temple in Thailand, we went up there and they took care of people at the end of life. And we were sitting in a circle with so many different patients, different ages, and they were talking about how this experience at the temple has been the happiest in their whole life. And people say that this cancer is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I said, you know, as a young nurse, I said, how could you say that? Because they found themselves, their true self, without the box, without the ego, without the labels. Yeah. Wait, have like, you heard the story? Have you heard the story of the salt doll? No. So there's this salt doll who's lived in the desert his whole life, her whole life. I'm so sick of everything being a boy. She's lived in this desert her whole life and she's walking and she gets to the edge of the sea and the water is moving and she's never seen that. So she says to the sea, what are you? And the sea says, come in and find out. And so she wanders in and as she wanders in, she is starting to dissolve until she is barely just like the tiniest essence of herself and she says oh now i see what i am yeah that's the journey yeah wow you know, we, we add on all these layers of jobs and titles and houses and cars and vacation spots and 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 we tell ourselves that's who we are but you know in the journey of death when the car keys are sitting on the bedside table they will never be used again the wallet is sitting there it will never be used again the fancy clothes are on what they have is what the love that they gave in this lifetime. But when, but when people find themselves for the first time with all of those things now gone and they are so bright in their being, it's like magic. And the fact that we have removed this from our society as, and, and to me, it's, it's directly related to the chaos because we're all living in this ego separateness. And when you have been honored and privileged to be in that space and see that and be a part of what that feels like, you will never live your life the same way again. Exactly. And that's the attraction to being a doula because you get right. to be there in those moments. That's right. And they're absolutely incredible. So when you talk about this small box, it, there's so much more going on here. Um, and if people knew that, I think their um, their lives would be lived very differently. And I hope that we get there. I hope that we're able to have this conversation because again, it taught me about, you know, all being connected. It taught me about love, this energy of love. Um, and that, you know, we're all pointing at each other saying how different we are, religions and colors and all of that. And no, we're not. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, at the, and let's get back to that because um, we've really lost our way, but hopefully a lot of this will be coming back um, with this education and awareness. So I thank you for your work and your service and you're amazing. And I cannot wait to continue to follow you and to see next thing you know, it will be in all hospitals and places that they'll have doulas. I mean, it is exciting. We are yeah. getting purchased by a big company and yeah. they're like, how do we roll this out? Like, well, how do we do this? Like, yes, yes, yes. And I think it's lovely because, you know, I've been doing this for a very long time. And I remember being, having lunch with CEOs in their hospital offices because they wanted to hear about this doula, you know, and they were trying to put, wrap their head around it, having it be non-medical and not licensed and all that. And now it's coming about, 
you know, now they're bringing, because they realize that the, first of all, death is not a medical experience, but that they can't accommodate the time that's needed and having the support system to be an adjunct to mainstream medical is the perfect scenario. And we only have one chance to do this and have it go well with end of life. So I applaud you and I cannot wait. And I really, I applaud the company you're working for because I think that was an amazing step that they took. Um, and it can really be something that others can model. So Jane, yeah. thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been really so great to reconnect. Yes, definitely. All right. And if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to find you? Uh, doulajane.com is my website. Love it. Thank you so much. All right, Jane, to be continued. Thank you so much, everybody.